a windy day on the ridge walk. I've, I've done the big uh, climb today, so just a few small ones and a gentle downward walk to do. I think today's the 33rd talk. And I've actually done a couple of others, which uh, for various reasons I didn't post. Surprised, quite surprised I've gone on so long. But, uh, I'm finding it useful for my own, my own benefit, really. So I shall continue for now. And as ever, please do send any feedback that you might have to at jwelby on Twitter probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Any requests, any questions, send them on down. So, provided the wind noise isn't too, too bad, because it really is a blustery day here, um, I'm going to talk about uh, something which is pretty much a cliche. those who read Zen stories and things, but it really it's a very short thing, more of a statement than anything else. And it is, when the teacher points at the moon, only an idiot looks at the finger. So, forgive me if I've mentioned this one before, it's a very common thing, very commonly quoted Zen story. I think partly because it's so memorable, so short, and also so easily misunderstood. And I, I say it's misunderstood very often because basically the thing that it's pointing to is generally exactly not how people receive it, if you like, think about it, take it on board. And a, a, common, a common way to take it on board would be, uh, well, that's obvious. What sort of a foolish person would stand there gazing at the finger when, when what's being pointed to is this glorious full moon? isn't a, an incorrect interpretation. <laughs> it's, it's just that the point of the story isn't for you to interpret it. In trying to understand or feeling you do understand or dissecting the story about the, this person who's supposed to be foolish, you are looking at that piece of teaching rather than what the teaching is pointing to. In other words, you are looking at the finger, not the moon. 
wouldn't feel too bad about that. I've certainly, I've certainly spent a lot of time in that kind of state of mind, with that kind of understanding of it. And there's, there's, some, there's some value in it. There's definitely some value in that level of understanding. Because even at that level, it's saying, don't be distracted. Don't, hack, don't have an academic viewpoint on, on the teaching. Because if you do, you can, you can sit there and pick it apart in your head. Be very clever, very academic about it. Meanwhile, the person who understands that teaching is looking at the moon. I guess the obvious question then is, well, how can one mature one's understanding? Is mature the right word? I think it may be. How can one deepen one's understanding? How can one broaden it? Because as I say, I don't think the truth, I don't think the relatively superficial truth of that teaching is in any way untrue. But how can one, how can one just look at the moon when either, either in all circumstances or, or when one needs to be reminded to look at the moon by a kind teacher who maybe points to it for you? And unsurprisingly, the answer is meditation and Buddhist practice. One thing I think is, is useful is to recognize that everything is pointing to the moon. Things that you find helpful, things that you agree with, That's easy to see how they point to the moon in many ways. Assuming that they do point to the moon, you have to be kind of discerning about what teaching you're looking at. What's more difficult is seeing the things that we find difficult, the things we find hard, disruptive, things we run away from, things we battle with. This is something I've been working on a lot in the last few weeks. Um, as I've said before, I've, I've had stuff coming up that's been really, really difficult to deal with. And I've, I've been struggling with it. And... 
I got to the point where I suddenly realised that I was making a really fundamental error. I was looking at the finger. I was engaging with, in quotes, the problem, as if it was anything other than a reminder, an indication that I need to meditate deeply with stillness. a while for that message to get through and so much of it is about habitual responses to, to difficulty and so much of that is about stories seeing oneself as a victim of this or a sufferer from that seeing things as obstacles I guess it must be a bit like being a mountain climber. I'm no mountain climber. So to me, a, a big cliff is an obstacle. To a mountain climber, a big cliff is the way to the top. And I think when we meditate, when we really get into a wholehearted, deep Buddhist practice. Part of what's, what's going on is we're learning to climb. In one of Reverend Master Jiu's books, who founded the order that I'm part of as a lay member, she uses the analogy of climbing in a really striking way. She describes herself as climbing the glass cliff. It's jagged, sharp cliff that she's having to climb barefoot, barehanded, just climbing, just going on. And she does it. She gets to the top. And she goes on to the next thing. So although I am sure I will forget, maybe another thousand times, who knows. When things arise and you find yourself treating them as a barrier, find yourself getting distracted by them, trying to work with them in ways in which you've maybe tried before, which hadn't really worked out very well. What I would say is do your best. Don't be too hard on yourself. And if you can, you may find that if you sit very still within the problem, 
without rejecting it, without holding on to it, without entering into any kind of story about it, particularly in terms of your relationship to it, you may actually find that just sitting still with that thing, however difficult, and it can be very hard, brings about a change. So, everything is pointing to the moon. speechless with the beauty of this place now. Standing next to a hay meadow. The wind blowing the, the trees around and amazing blue sky, wonderful clouds. Amazing light, incredibly clear lucidity. So I think that's probably it. So I shall continue my walk. Have a great day and stay well.